0: This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,551, recorded July 14th, 2000. First off, a private message to you people I know by name, my friends out of town. Plus what I was mentioning on the last tape that I wish all of you would come down for St. Q's on the 23rd of September. I would also mention again that if any of you in those other cities where I used to show up in New York, California, Oregon, places I never had on a regular schedule at one time, even Arizona or Philadelphia. If you people in some way would find out, ascertain through some method, if there was enough people that would be interested, I sure would like to get out of this place more often, if not permanently. And I would certainly consider going back to once a week showing up in your fine city. If it was worthwhile, if we had a new enough fresh blood assuming I can still attract fresh blood I may have polluted the ocean (laughs) plus if any of you people out there in the other cities had my best interest at heart since my birthday's coming up you would split up and some of you would take different cities like someone would go to Copenhagen, Paris London, Rome and stir up the same kind of activity there's enough interest throughout Europe All you got to do is round them up. And I'll go over there instead of coming to your city. On to the tape. Since I've already put it to you last time and talked about it, let me give you the general idea in less inflammatory words. Last time I put it to you that anything ever said deserves to be ridiculed. And even though I told you I didn't mean it overtly, I didn't mean it actively, and I didn't even mean it literally. But especially overtly, even to yourself. Then if you didn't get it, let me put it in less rambunctious terms, although I still like those. Is nothing ever said is worthy of attention. Nothing anybody has ever said or written Or that anybody is now saying or writing is worthy of attention. And the serious corollary, if you're attempting to clear your mind, is that if you don't realize that and operate on that basis, I fear that you're forever stuck where you are because you think that there are things that are worth attention. Things that the human mind can say. Remember, I don't exclude Why? which is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is excluding excluding yourself because the feeling is, well, I thought that. And that was very pithy, very weighty. I repeat, there is nothing ever said that's worthy of attention. Now, to keep my promise from last time and to speak on those Two great classes, zoological classes of reptilia and wannabe waker up us. It's based upon something that I read and then tripped my mind many, many, many decades ago, before I met any of you people, before I ever started talking about this out in public. And me talking about my aforementioned subject of nothing worthy of attention, it suddenly came to me, and I don't recall. I'm fairly certain I have never written or spoken about this to anybody. And it's just one of those things that hit me. It was back in the early 50s. And I munched. I gnashed greatly on this. And it just comes to mind, and as useful and as tasty as it was for me, I cannot, now that I remember it, I cannot resist attempting to lay it out for your inspection, if not consumption. In the early 50s, uh, there was a kind of general thinking, there were several books out, and one of them, or some collection of them, I think it was one of them, triggered me, to have this kind of instant flash, this picture that, as I said, I ate off of, I nibbled off of for a long time. And I still am delighted with it now that I have recalled it or else I would not be passing it along because, you know, I don't deal in historical tidbits. I don't offer it up as some kind of personal history. At any rate, there was a while. This was, uh, you got to remember how long ago this was or according to your age, how recent it was getting weird. How recent that is. Well, it's only 1950. And somebody says, I wasn't born until 1970. Now you're talking to them as though they're a full-fledged adult, a grown person, (laughs) with memories of the important years, such as the 50s, the 40s even. At any rate, it has to do with uh, the physiological development of the brain. But nothing at all like I was trying to drag your attention to for modeling purposes a while back. This was, as I repeat, it was in the 1950s. And since then there has been, as we all know, as I acknowledge, even I am aware, that there's been great progress made in mapping out additional areas of the brain and more solid information and observation, but in theories regarding the anatomy, the morphology of the brain. But at any rate, this was the basis of it. At that time, there was a fairly well-known, popularized, based upon science, though, there was some neurologists came up with it, but it was an early attempt, I guess, partially, at comparative, or I guess it would be philosophical, physiological evolution or evolutionary physiology. It was notions of how the brain developed in mammals. And it was basically, this is the part that triggered me that I'm going to use, that really gave me whole pictures that had nothing to do with the book and the ideas. But the kind of speculation, and it was presented as quite serious theory based upon the knowledge and observation of the brain at that time, and remember then they had almost none of the technology that they have now. It was just basically observing human nature, animal behavior, and what little that they were getting from open skull surgery, the neurology of the time. But at any rate, it was guys who considered what they could see in the brain and the behavior of animals and humans. And they were plotting enough that the general feeling at that time was, and I don't think this has necessarily been overridden by any recent theories but it was the feeling based upon the anatomy of the brain of looking at the lower mammals the lower vertebrates and then the higher mammals with their brain with a cortex of some sort and with of course man and that was that they observed and the feeling was that what we now call the diencephalon kind of it's where the brain stem connects with the cortex. It's where the lower connects with the higher, kinds of things, as I usually call it. But they observed, and it was accepted as a general theory, an acceptable, supportable theory, which, as I said, to my knowledge, no one has seriously tried to attack it. There's no need to. But it was that they observed that in reptiles, they went back that far. And there was already evolutionary speculation then that you know, we came from the sea, and it turned into reptiles, uh, or amphibians, and then reptiles, or vice versa. But anyway, any rate, and then into land dwellers, and then into birds, another branch, and then tree livers. So a lot of the mammals, some of the mammals went up into trees rather than live on land. But that they look back, and the, the feeling was at the time, the accepted picture was that what we now know is the frontal lobes grew out of the olfactory lobes of the reptilian brain. Because you can look at pictures, and they had them then, pictures of alligators, all forms of reptiles, and you could see where the olfactory lobes stuck out because all they have is what we would call a brain stem. Just goes up, they got a brain stem, they have a nervous system, but they really have no brain, as we call it. They certainly have no cortex, but they really have no brain. It was also accepted, and I don't know if this has been changed, but I'm pretty sure it's not because I still see modern writings refer to the reptilian brain. They do it kind of offhandedly, as though if you're well-read enough, you know what they mean. But that the reptilian brain, that is, our brainstem when it goes up before it gets to the thalamus, the diencephalon, before it branches out into what we know as the mammalian brain, that that part of the nervous system up through the brainstem is still, for all intents and purposes, exactly like that of a reptile. And that as far as they can see, there has been no change. That Up to that point, through our brainstem, I'll just call it that instead of diencephalon, it's basically the same thing, it doesn't matter. that time, I didn't even know enough of that, just, it just hit me. But up through the brainstem, we are still reptiles. We are, and if you don't like that, we are still as we were, millions of years ago that they can still observe in reptiles that they can now they know enough and they did then even or speculating enough that if you disregard the cortex and just take us up through the brainstem just before it hits the thalamus which starts turning into what we now call our forebrain wherein lies the cortex and consciousness that there all of our automatic actions all of our reactions to external stimuli and all of our reactions to our internal hormonal stimuli is, for all intents and purposes, the same as a reptile and is the same as ours was millions of years ago. It still controls all the automatic systems, respiration, breathing, hunger, sex drive, regulates sleep, it does the same thing in us it does in reptiles. And so up to the top of the brain stem is known as the reptilian brain. So based upon their observation, there's two, when you see the reptilian brain, there are these olfactory lobes, and they can now, I understand, they can do enough through technology to track the development of embryos while still in the womb. And we have a young a developing child in the womb. I forget what the week is, but you can look. I've seen pictures, and it is equal to, it looks just like a reptilian brain. Anyway, it was an accept act, even back then, that, or an accepted theory based upon their observation, that the picture was, based upon observing the reptilian brain and mammals, that our hemispheres, the cortex itself, was an expansion of the olfactory lobes, which also helps explain from their view why man has such a poor sense of smell, which I don't know how you know it, but compared to all other mammals, our sense of smell is almost not worth mentioning. We have other senses, particularly hearing and sight, combined, that there's no creature that's our equal. But at any rate it was accepted that the hemispheres began to expand from the olfactory lobes and that we became conscious. Then, there was some speculation all the way back in the 50s, this is in science now, not metaphysics of some sort, just things I ran across, of how man developed, in a certain way, consciousness or certain aspects of the development that he gave up part of his sense of smell for the development of the cortex, for the development of what we call consciousness, or thought. And that what turned the mammals into the predominant creatures on this planet and what turned us, the singular mammals, into the true ruler of the planet was this. doing the brainstem expanded into a brain and men could think that what made further once that was anatomically started that once it made it possible for man to develop past that point was the fact that what we call consciousness started acting as and this is my own term they were explaining it but it hit me it began to act as a screener Now, I've talked about such as this before, I know, in the last couple of years to you people, but this is from 1950, something that really hit me, as I said, and it still delights me and informs me, in a sense, that consciousness began to act as a screener. That if we go back again for a moment, the reptilian brain, or reptiles, we don't have to just theorize, you see reptiles, And, of course, there are are other creatures, but reptiles, since they were referring to our brainstem as being the same as the reptilian brain. The reptiles only react to the external environment and the internal environment, their internal hormonal environment, automatically. There is no picking and choosing. There is no hesitation. Whatever is wired into the reptilian brain, which is purely instinctive essential is automatic so the picture that they were drawing back then the speculation that they were picturing was that for the brain to develop for reptiles to turn into mammals to get out on the land to get out into a new environment for some of them even to go up and live in trees get away from the many dangers down on the land, that all of this required new behavior. And that rather than starting all over with a whole new nervous system, that once the reptilian brain began to expand and man had the ability to think, develop the cortex, that what the cortex did basically and initially and still does is act as a screener. That rather than mammals now reacting automatically, entirely automatically, to their external environment and their internal hormonal one. Rather than just immediately, with no possible choice, no thought given, to just automatically react, consciousness began to act as a screener. And it operated you know, like this. that uh, Let's say with the reptilian brain. A certain kind of movement would cause movement on the reptile's part. If there was a certain movement, the reptilian brain movement toward the reptile. let's say something larger than it. there was movement, the reptile does something would assume well it's either going to try and get away or it's going to fight. It's going to attack. It just does it automatically. It doesn't stop in reason. Up to the point of the brainstem, there is no reason. We know that in man because you can live, as we all should know by now, with the frontal lobes, the cerebral cortex, damaged, damn near destroyed, and you can still live because the brainstem will keep you alive. Just you and the old, old reptilian brain will keep you alive. The reptile would simply react to the environment, to change the environment. And as I said, I shouldn't overlook, it also would react if the hormones suddenly made it know that it was mating season. Suddenly sexually aroused a reptile, the reptile immediately starts looking for a mate, for a female. There's no thinking about it. If the hormones, the internal environment, its hormones make it hungry, a reptile does not think about it. It simply then begins to look for food, just immediately, just reacts to it having the cortex, having consciousness, it began to act as a screener so that once reptiles had turned into mammals, blah, 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 were up on the land and were living in a new environment, it could screen out stimuli, that is, not screen it out, but screen it, once it came in sensorily, that there was some great sudden movement over here, and once we developed consciousness, the eyes could look around and see exactly what it was before we reacted before we either lunged at it or began to run from it that then mammals anything that had consciousness that had a cortex instead of just the reptilian brain could take a closer look to see if is it continuing to come toward me or to look and see that maybe it was just a tree that fell but to at least look and to see is this real danger Just because of a sudden movement. The same kind of thing that might make an alligator jump. Then once we became mammals. The old reptilian brain still wanted to. That were it not for the cortex. The mammals would jump just like an alligator. If there was suddenly right beside it. some, Some great movement. It would move. It would either lunge toward it. Or lunge away from it. But it required something. To be able to make such decisions it required non-muscular memory. It required that you have had experience and that you could remember it. All animals have muscular memory. You know we're not talking about that, but it required that mammals be able to file away past experience and be able to retrieve it. In other words, they had to be able to learn from being alive. Of course, I'm saying learn at a very basic level. But that the cortex had to be able to file away numerous memories that had to have sufficient the mammal had to have a sufficient experience and then file away memories and be able to retrieve them so that when there was this great movement and instead of just automatically as per the reptilian brain as per the mammals up to the brainstem to just suddenly either lunge toward it or run from it that it could screen before the cortex would send down messages back to the brainstem that is controlling muscular activity and say, run for it. Rather than that, the cortex could look, but it has to be very quick, of course. It has to be instantaneous almost and run through its memory. Have I ever seen anything like that? Have I been through something similar to this? Now without memory, the ability to, quote, make some choice instead of to automatically react, blindly react to external and internal stimuli you have to have some experience upon which to draw you must be able to remember it and then what us humans call it you must be able to reason you must be able to learn you must be able to reason and you must have a sufficient store of memories which you can instantly retrieve or retrieve in a timely manner as reptilian attorneys would say and so when this sudden Ah, startling something moves over here, a mammal can stop whatever it was doing, eating or fooling around, and look over there and to see is it true danger. Now what the reptilian brain wanted it to mammals to do and still does in us. It wanted to immediately jump, to immediately attack or run. The brainstem, as far as we can tell. As far as science is concerned, as far as I'm concerned, because it made me really start looking into the matter back then. As far as I'm concerned, it's still there. Because we all know just a sudden noise can do the very things that the reptilian brain, the brainstem, does still in us. Just a loud, frightening noise will immediately make your heart. You don't stop and think about it. It's faster. It's beyond consciousness. Your heart rate will begin to pound and supposedly they can measure that it still happens your your blood pressure will rise Uh, sugar will dump into your bloodstream, you'll lose all sense of hunger you'll lose all desire for sex if you're in the middle of sex any of you who have ever been caught with a married woman front door slam you don't have to tell the woman oh maybe we should stop as soon as you hear that door slam you've stopped I'll leave that to your imagination for those of you who have never been through it. But the autonomous nervous system is controlled by the brainstem, still in us, in all mammals and in us, the old reptilian brain. It, it may already go ahead or it will already go ahead. Let's say if this lunging shadowy figure over in your peripheral vision that I made up. If it's sufficiently startling, maybe noisy, the brainstem will go ahead and send all the messages. It has already started the body to run or to fight. But when you're conscious, the mammalian brain, or a brain that has consciousness, or a cortex even, it can look and see right quick, do I have any past experience? Is this in fact a danger? And then let say that it it, it doesn't match any other danger you've been through or it may be very similar to something that the mammal had been through and so therefore it just ignores it and goes back to eating or doing whatever you're doing. But it requires memory. It requires the ability to... You know, I'm just using common terminology. It requires the ability to learn. which you know, reptiles do not learn. You can't teach a reptile tricks. The reptilian brain in us does not learn tricks. You can't modify its behavior. As far as I can see, if you could, that'd be a hell of a danger. I mean, you'd be asking for suicide. You'd be asking for absolutely unpredictable results. So, as far, again, as everyone can apparently tell, the reptilian brain in us and in crocodiles hasn't changed in millions of years. Because it operates quite nicely. But once you have consciousness once the olfactory lobes have turned into the prefrontal lobes, the hemispheres of the gray matter known as the human brain and producing the mind and consciousness, then we can, that part of the brain, can screen sensory information coming in from the outside world and can also screen internal information, hormonal stimuli. That once you have consciousness... We can control our sexual urge, our hunger. Because if you're at work, you know that you don't just get up from your desk and leave when you get hungry. You have to wait. The reptilian brain may at 10 o'clock say, eat, eat. But you simply don't eat. If you were an alligator there was your job, there at the desk, and your hormonal system said eat, uh, my guess is you'd go eat. It's also my guess that no one would try to stop you. Same thing with sex. Same thing with sleep. But being conscious, having a cortex, that part can affect, it can screen the information both coming from within itself, within us, and stimuli, information coming from outside of us. The cortex can screen it and decide what to react to. And I say decide on a very liberal basis, based upon circumstance, such as I said, your job. You don't go eat when you want to. You don't act like an alligator or even an elk. You don't go up and immediately try to mount the you know someone just because you try and look at her, and your hormones say fucker, sex. You don't do it. Not with the cortex. Not with consciousness. You have to, You make some decision. I can't do that. It would be rape. Or I can't do that. She's a married woman. Or I can't do that. I'm married. Whatever it is. You know how it goes. But the point is, it makes possible. All of that. The ability to learn. The ability to screen. And so, what I'm saying by screen it's, is that there is a time lapse. There is a Analytic process going on between the brain stems, directions to the body, the brain stems' automatic reactions in matters of sex, food, sleep, which is what I usually refer to as the essentials, survival related activities. Then the brain has brought in an intermediary, the cortex has, whereas it makes possible if you have sufficient experience if you have the ability to reason, just using common terms, I remind you, and if you have the ability to learn from experience, you've got to be able to remember it, you've got to be able to associate it with the present circumstance. So it turned out that from one view, man has become what he is. He became a cultural animal. He began to develop artifacts, man-made articles to which the body, to which the reptilian brain is, they're foreign. The reptilian brain would simply have reacted to life as it found it, the same as all other creatures, or at least all reptiles do. And most animals in general, they simply react to the world as they find it. But once we had the ability to screen both internal stimuli and external stimuli, to screen it before the reptilian brain, before the brain stem operated automatically. you got to remember, it still operates automatically before it actually put in motion. Even though it can philosophically, as physiologically already put in motion, fear and etc., consciousness can override it. Now, for instance, once you were conscious and had the ability to learn sufficient experience, you can imagine uh, like an old caveman there's some cavemen sitting around a huge fire at night, and they look up, and they see eyes. They hear these low growls, and they realize from past experience, lions. Suddenly they suddenly, see four or five eyes out there, and they know that lions can eat them alive. They can't even run fast enough to get away, and they certainly cannot attack the lions. But and as soon as somebody looks up and sees the eyes, just they see you know, flashing, glowing eyes in the dark, just a you know, 30 or 40 yards away from them and one guy punches the other, and they all look, and immediately, the brain stem, their reptilian brain, and I say caveman, it could be us, it could be modern men, sitting around a campfire, in Africa, already, their blood pressure rises, they lose hunger, if there's any sense of hunger, they lose any desire for sex, sugar, begins to flow into the blood, stream, but, they would know, By now, if we're talking about modern man, but back then, if they'd had sufficient experience, they have learned that the inside is, we look up, we know by now it's lines. As long as we're sitting here by this fire, no line is going to come close to the fire. They won't get within, with them. They just know from experience, lines won't get close to this fire. But by the time they have decided that, which is almost instantaneously, before they could do that, the brainstem already has their heart pounding. Because they've had enough experience you can imagine that they're all squatting around and they look up and see the eyes and as soon as they see the eyes and they know what it is the brain the reptilian brain knows as soon as that happens their heart the blood pressure goes up everything happens because they've had sufficient experience I can picture it or you surely can none of them actually move a muscle they just still squat and they may look at each other like you know lions But they know that nothing right then is going to happen as long as they are right there around that fire. In that kind of manner is what I mean by the kind of screening. It does not stop the operations. It does not change the reality of the operations of the old brain. But in one sense, I don't want to talk about this part forever. This was just a setup. I got a strange way, if I look at these lectures like jokes, have you ever noticed... Well, I say it's strange. I'm not sure it is. It sure is one-sided that my setup takes 59 minutes and the punchline one minute. The punchline normally takes more than the... I mean, the setup normally takes longer than the punchline in any joke. But Jesus, 59 to 1? That's a hell of a ratio. Henny Youngman would take away my comedian's card. From one view, without any doubt, you could say that man has developed, has taken over authority over every other creature, is what he is now, lives the leisurely life he does, has the culture he has, an artificial life in the real sense of the word, that he lives primarily by man-made cultural, social constructs of his own invention, not just the natural reptilian kind of brain life that from one view you could say it's all thanks not only to the development of the cerebral cortex but looking at it functionally it's all thanks to the ability not only of having the cortex but the cortex's ability to screen to select from and ignore but to screen if you now see what I mean External and internal stimuli. That in a sense, just talking as we are right now for the setup part, that the conscious part of the brain, in mammals, in us, in man, under many, many conditions, many of ours nowadays are artificial. That is, they're man-made conditions. We do not live out in the woods. We do not live, Mm -hmm. or have to live, as per the reptilian brain, as per automatic reactions, that you could say that it's thanks to screening that we alone, a few other higher, some of the primates show a little ability. But anyway, we are truly singular to the extent that we can select the stimuli to which we will react within reason, within that which is not damaging to us physically we can select from several different possible responses. We can, in fact, suppress it. Something is absolutely required for these uh, continuation of any species is sex. When you get down to the reptilian level, I think I'm speaking on safe ground. If you walked up upon two alligators mating, there is no way that you can separate them. You cannot say bad alligators. You can't go, oops, and embarrass them. And I would say, I feel safe again, that you could not do it with lions. Well, hell, you can't do it with dogs. What am I talking about? You cannot do it, interfere with their feeding. I assume you know with an ordinary dog. If he starts eating, he's hungry. His reptilian brain has started him eating. If you go up and you try to drag a dog away from food, or if you even go up and try to get close to him, what will he do besides growl? Eat faster. He won't lose his sense of hunger, whereas you will. It is the screening that makes our leisurely life, that makes the human life possible. That within the context of what I'm saying, we have the ability within certain limits known limits to everybody, to pick and choose stimuli. We can absolutely, as I started to say, we can overcome the most basic. Surely sex, would have to agree, is the most basic. That is the absolute requirement for any species to continue, not for an individual. You may, individuals here and there, may produce no children. That doesn't matter. We've got no shortage of children on this planet. But for the species, there is nothing more important than the sexual drive. And yet we all know, you can not only not choose to respond to it at the moment, you can suppress it. Individuals, at least they claim to, have gone their whole life without any sex. But you know damn well that you can suppress it because of needs, because of your circumstance, because of some decision you've made consciously in the cortex. You can decide to overcome something as absolutely required on a species level basis, as sex, you can absolutely, overcome it, on the spot, it's no big deal, you just, well, you know, I can't do that, I can't do it now, screening, I say, could be referred to, this is what hit me, as the absolute gateway, to civility, to the human life, as we know it, I don't think, there's any doubt, now, what hit me after all of that? What hit me back sometime in the early 50s that I got into reading something more or less I re- have been relating to you and the term hit me, screening. I saw the whole thing in my own way at the time and it's still, the picture still holds. I could say to you that the best approach to awakening would be a kind of metaphysical screening. The brain is already doing it. It is doing it in every conscious person. No matter how uncivil, no matter how low class, uneducated they are, no matter what kind of uncivilized life they lead, nor does it matter what how much of a genteel, educated, sophisticated life they leave. Their brain is constantly, constantly engaged in screening. Both internal stimuli, hormonal stimuli, and incoming external stimuli to live any kind of life. If you don't screen, there's only two possible results for you amongst ordinary people nowadays, and that's the insane asylum or prison. You'll either go mad by any ordinary definition, or you'll be turned to a life of crime. You'll... The life you lead will be adjudged by your fellow man to be one of crime. To you, it's just, I did it. To the criminal, they got no real explanation, but it's, you know, my reptilian brain made me do it. They don't say that, but they just do it. Then the more, the closer they do live to that level, the further, in other words, they live from screening. The more you see people... They get caught for what we consider to be totally uncivilized criminal behavior. And they look like, so what? They're questioning about it or don't you feel bad? They look like, you know, I don't know. They look like they're not sure what you're asking. Or at least they look like they don't care. I saw back then that a process, and I used it. And I say to you now, I could see, I could propose a whole mystical system and that be the key word. Not self-remembering or self-observing or mindfulness would be screening. Because the brain is already doing it. In one way, I'm not sure I want to get into this after looking at your faces and me talking about it for 45 minutes already. In one way, I could say that it is this screening process that is what we call the state of sleep. Uh, This is real verbally rickety here. It's not really it, and it doesn't really cause it. But I see them as synonymous. I can leave it with you if you want to consider it for yourself. But it is this screening process. See, because there's another aspect that I didn't mention that hit me and I think would still be validly or would be supportable, even from a scientific view. In lower mammals below us, even those that have a cortex is what I'm really, that have a, those that are referred to as having mammalian brains, they have a cortex. They have something other than a reptilian brain, such as I was saying a. Uh, wow, well, don't guess I was saying, but a deer instead of a man. A deer can be out in the grass, and they suddenly be a flash of something, a movement. And a deer has more than a reptilian brain. A deer will stop and directly turn its nose, its eyes, turn its all of its senses on what moved. And already, its reptilian brain will have its heart pounding and sugar pouring into the blood. It will suddenly lose its appetite. It will not eat. And it will look. And it may not run. The reptilian brain has already prepared everything to run. But it may look and take time to decide, should I run? Was that something? Was it just a movement? Of course, it's not thinking. But it stops and it stares and it looks. It takes in more information, and it may not run. It may go back to eating. And that's the end of it, of that affair. It screened, it analyzed the information before the reptilian brain made or brought on some actual actual physical behavior. But why I said that this screening process to me is part and parcel of what we call being asleep is this. With humans, even though the stimuli has been screened, has been analyzed, and our consciousness, our cortex, has decided we do not have to respond to this. This is not a threat. It's not a danger of some kind. We don't have to respond to it. That is, in a sense, that the deer goes back to eating. And once it checked this out and went back to eating, I don't know how else to say it, it forgot about it. That was the end of it. Not so with us. Which is what I say, if you can say it for yourself, that's what I say is actually the state of sleep. It is a continuing rehashing of stimuli, both internally based and externally, that we have screened and very likely did not react to did not allow we simply did not react to it physically it did not our cortex our consciousness our thinking our mind our personality did not respond to it we decided, you know for whatever reason was we have explained it wasn't worth it we decided it wasn't important enough i decided i wasn't really interested which all could be lies and rationalizations for lack of behavior for lack of taking action But you could still say that to yourself. But unlike the deer, unlike other mammals, as far as I can tell, once we have screened, analyzed the stimulation, the stimuli, and decided not to react to it for whatever reason, then we don't go back to eating or whatever we're doing and forget about it. What are the daydreams we have? What is the constant automatic running of the mind? other than a replaying of screens and previously analyzed stimuli, both internally sourced and externally sourced. We either reacted to it at the time or we didn't, but what the hell is the point that we're still going over it? I suggested to you this same thing without giving you this story about six or eight months ago when I was talking about the brain. If you want to look for a A reasonable explanation, it would be that this is still part and parcel of consciousness. The cortex's need to have a readily available, adequate storehouse of memories, of past experiences, to which we either reacted or didn't react, but we had the experience, and we screened it, we analyzed it. And you could simply see this kind of daydreaming is like a boxer just standing in one spot... You know, and bouncing on his feet. Or a runner. He's constantly staying in shape. I'm prepared to run. I got nowhere to run right now, but he just stands in that one spot and he continually bounces from one foot to another and never stops. You can say, well, it's good practice. If your job is to run, if that's your main interest in life, then why not? Stay constantly in shape. Always prepared. Right, looking on the positive side, I can say from my view, it suits, anyway, it suited me that that is what is going on. But then the question is, all right, if that is continual practice, if that is continually keeping your memory, keeping your right now, your association of past experiences, keeping them close at hand mentally keeping the associations fresh where that you can apply one past situation that you can remember to a possible future one or a current one may pop up at any moment. You're continuing to do that. You're staying fresh. You're staying in shape. You're continually going back and checking that, yeah, I can still retrieve those memories. I have a nice storehouse of all kinds of various memories that apply to many different situations. That sounds good until you ask yourself this. If you're my kind of mystic, To your knowledge, exactly, how often have you called upon this continual daydreaming and it has proved to be of value? Which I say without any doubt, theoretically, it is a value, or it can be. But I'm saying, how often do we use it? As far as I know, I've never heard anyone pose that question or look at it. And I answer it this way. Not enough to keep people like me from calling it a state of delusion, a state of distraction, of being annoyed by it. That's how often of what practical use is it to me as an individual. I would say there's no doubt that it's of great value to the species homo sapien, that did not people walk around constantly daydreaming, constantly rechecking their memory, their past experiences, Checking in a sense that they can still learn, that they know how to associate one set of circumstances to a slightly different one. That's what daydreaming is. From one view, that's what replaying old arguments you've had, changing it slightly around of what you should have said. Thinking about well, if that ever pops up again, next time somebody says to me, well, ba 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 ba. Next time I go, ha, ba 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 ba. Or next time somebody says here. Lay your thing over here on the windowsill. All right, if you didn't like that, not enough of you were in the Navy. That somebody says, Well, here, put all your money in this envelope and hand it to me, and I'll put a spell on it and double it for you instantly. It's like you think, Well, I'll never fall for that again. Boy, was I dumb. I'll never do that again. Next time I go, Ha! I'm not that dumb. Like you can, on a species wide level, I can say that there's no doubt. There's just no doubt. I say it, it serves a purpose. But ask yourself individually. That's what I did. And I say that that is one sense is what makes what I call mystics mystics. It's this individuals here and there and they don't know how to look at it. They, they will cling to almost any explanation given for it. They simply don't like it. They simply find it. They don't know how to put it, but they find it to be of no benefit. And individually, I still say, In in one quite real zoological, physiological sense, the individual is not important, period, anyway, whether it be an individual alligator or whether it be an individual human. I mean, everybody knows that. The individual is not important. It doesn't matter whether you live or die. It doesn't matter whether you succeed or not. It doesn't matter whether you eat or not. It doesn't matter whether you have sex or not individually. It only matters that the species survive. It only matters that large group of of humans or alligators mate. The large group of them eat. The large group of them get sufficient sleep and rest. Not stressed out and end up in a psychiatric hospital for alligators. But individually, it's of no consequence. It's only individuals that believe that it is. Only sleeping individuals, as we all know. That's part of being an ordinary sane individual is to believe that you're of great importance. Which if you ever see what's going on, that's a sure sign. It doesn't take any effort to realize who's asleep and who's not. Anyone who takes themselves to be important, surely now you sense it anyway, that you know it on some level, but anyone who considers that they individually are of some special importance, there is no greater description of being asleep. It is only on a species-wide level. It's only on a large level. Individually, then, way back then, when I saw this just in a split second, it didn't take me an hour. Everything I'm telling you I saw in a split second, it hit me. And I realized individually this screening has left me consciousness that part of the brain is continually checking on memory I've tried to point to you before whether anybody gets anything about it or not I guess it's kind of slippery to see what I'm trying to say or the purpose but you realize you couldn't be asleep without memory you couldn't be conscious you couldn't think it's all dependent upon memory even speculation even theorizing about the future doing R&D is all based on memory. So here it is, the state that I had already decided was, I think I'd already read was called being asleep, and I'd already accepted that. It was deluded. I knew I didn't like it. And once I heard that somebody had already come up with a name for it, you're asleep, then I really didn't like it. I love the name, but I really didn't like it. But then when I saw all this, and this hit me at the same time, that just being asleep is based upon the screening process, the natural, the normal job of consciousness to screen and to analyze stimuli, both internally based and externally sourced. And that's all, this state of continually running, rambunctious, uncontrollable daydreaming, the sleeping consciousness, this deluded state of mind, all it is is a rehashing of this earlier, this previous screening, willowing process and I could see that on a species-wide level, this is useful. It keeps everybody in shape. It keeps consciousness in tune, you know, in shape, toned up. But I realized that individually, it's doing nothing. Not just to me or for me, but to no individual. Because the point is, no individual needs any particular uh, tampering. It doesn't matter whether an individual here and there stays mentally in shape and stays prepared to react to new situations in a profitable manner. It doesn't matter. People die of what seems to be stupid decisions every day, constantly, on the highway, in bars, in the gutter. So what? Humans go on. The species continues. But individually, this screening process take it to another level. That's how it hit me to wrap it up. As I said, I, I saw and I could make a whole mystical system is another level of screening. Since the brain is already doing it, you were born once. Once you become conscious, that is the main job. I say, based on this model of what consciousness is, is to screen, to thumb through, to analyze stimuli both coming from without and that coming from within and decide what would be in my best interest at the moment to do to react as the reptilian brain would have me do that's react automatically or to ponder are there other ways i could react other than the way that my system wants to other than the way my my old brain wants me to in other words other than the way i instinctively want to i want to jump that girl i suddenly saw her i got sexually aroused i wanted to jump her well, I can't do that. not right here in the middle of the street. I don't even know her. At any rate, you know you can't. Your brain is continually yours, mine, everybody's is continually screening in such a manner. I say to wake up, the whole process is simply to move this natural process of screening up a notch as you screen the screening. That's my best shot at a wrap-up punchline. It's another, it's a higher order unnecessary of screening. And what it amounts to is you're screening the mechanical screening. Well, after all these years, thinking back, it still makes me grin. I didn't see it then as a complete mystical system. But I'm saying now, I could, I could propose instead of I did spend an hour as a setup. I could present it as fast as I could talk as a whole. I could bring up all kinds of things I hadn't mentioned of aspects, that this would be a primo approach to awakening, the screening approach. Because the brain is already doing it, don't you see? You can't stop it. It's already mechanically programmed to do that. It's screening information right now. It's doing it as you're sitting there. It's screening to decide what information, what stimuli. Perhaps right now you're hungry sitting there. If you'd been an alligator, you'd got mocked out. You wouldn't have thought, well, maybe he'll find it insulting. Maybe he'll wonder why I left. An alligator doesn't care. Your reptilian brain, when it gets up to the point of your thalamus, like kind of the gateway between the reptilian brain and the human brain, the mammalian brain. Up to that point, you don't care. You don't care what anybody thinks. You only care about whether you can get by with it. You only care, I shouldn't even say that, you don't care about anything. You simply react as you're programmed to react instinctively. And that is still in us, absolutely. And you don't need, if, Surely you don't. You don't need a neurologist, you don't need a biologist or a physiologist to tell you that. But you also know that through the ability of screening, analyzing, censoring, selecting, suppressing from all of the stimuli constantly available, it is through that you can easily do it and overcome such basic species survival-driven needs as sex. It doesn't take any great effort. You just simply, well, I can't jump that girl. I can't have sex now. There's her husband. I can't eat now. The boss will fire me. It's no big deal. That is going on. The brain does it naturally. All you got to do is move it up a notch. Is screen what's being screened now. Yeah, I don't know whether you hit it or not, and if you do, I don't know whether you like it. And if you hear it and you don't like it, I know why. It's too blunt. It's too doable. See, that's one of the benefits of the brain, in case you're not up to the mood of taking a new challenge and go, Well, I'm gonna to, to think about it. I'm not sure I understood exactly what you meant. I'll go home and think about it, I'll analyze it further. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at JanCox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.